Welcome to the Angelscapes podcast, where you're encouraged to uncover and develop a direct connection with your soul's power, wisdom, and spiritual intuition that is ready to blossom. We'll explore new ideas, compelling tips, and real steps to help you learn simple spiritual practices. We're a safe place to learn more about accessing your soul's power with education and spiritual wholeness that could bring more clarity to your life. Now here's your host, a practicing medium, Akashic Records practitioner, spirit artist, coach, and mentor, Dr. Reverend Nancy Smith. So what can you learn from past lives and how far back can you go and how far away can you go to discover who you were in a past life? Hello, this is Angelscapes, and I'm your host, Nancy Smith. And in this episode, we're talking to Dr. Deborah Richmond, folks. Um, she has an incredible background um, on past lives, but she had an amazing accounting of one specific life that carried her through many, many years. Her memories were so accurate that she was able to travel to Scotland and uncover historical items and, arch that, and archives that the, um, even the historians didn't know about. And she, she, um, kind of connected the dots on a few historical events that um, kind of changed. I don't think it changed the history, but it really illuminated what some what went on in ancient Scot Scotland. So we're going to learn about her amazing experiences. And Deborah folks, Richmond folks, is um, a certified medium, um, and she's also studied Morris Pratt. So she she is a commissioned um, medium, and she has also is a master of masters in Reiki. And she has um, done a tremendous amount of trance development. And she's also uh, studied with Dr. Brian Weiss for past life regression. So her, her credentials are, are as long as God's are. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so. <laughs> uh, welcome. Um, and uh, so let's talk a little bit about past lives and what, how you kind of opened up to all of this. And then, and then let's talk about what you did with it. Okay. Uh, well, I really have to go back to, um, I was not communicating in 1999 when my dog Larry died. He was 17 years old, an Irish wolfhound. And I find my, found myself going, where's Larry and what do I do? I called um, Lydia Clark for a reading and she was the one who discovered John Edward. Um, and Lydia kind of pointed me in a direction. She gave me my first reading, which says your daughter is right here. I said, well, I don't have a daughter. I didn't have a, a miscarriage. I didn't have an abortion. I didn't adopt. You know, I don't have a daughter. And she says, I'm telling you. And she's from Brooklyn. So you kind of have to listen to her. And, and um, anyway, so the, the funny thing about it is that I kept saying, wonder who she is. I wonder who she is. And mm -hmm. two or three years later, I was in Woodham Ferris and found out that she had drowned there. And um, they had recorded... Um, well, they say ghosts haunting that area. Uh, and there was a young girl, a big gray dog, and a knight on horseback, which would have been her father, William Douglas. Um, anyway, so tracing all that back and stumbling upon information, it, that's how it all worked. And um, it was daily meditation, twice a day. Um, I wrote everything down. And that's when I teach mediumship. I'm sure you do the same thing. You stress the fact that you have to do meditation. You have to do it daily and you have to write down what you get. 
And uh, that's basically what I did. So from there, I had this inkling that, you know, I had a past life in Scotland. I, and I remember as a little girl listening and, and my favorite story was Rapunzel. And I said, Rapunzel, why, why is that? But my grandmother used to read me that story over and over. And then I found this story of Eleanor de Ferris, who was actually kidnapped from a castle that I was finally able to see. A friend of mine owns the castle up in, um, in the Lothians in Scotland. And um, I identified the story and she actually sent me the history of that um, occurrence. Um, and that happened around 1289. So all these things started happening. And I used to have recurring dreams about things. I think that's when people talk about past lives, they go, well, what will it do me? Well, there's a reason you have some recurring dreams. And some of them are because you had a past life that you need to heal from. So mm. one of my past lives was that one being kidnapped um, and being taken, well, not against my will. I pretty much felt that it was kind of like Rapunzel, let down your long hair and the night would kind of rescue you. And that was the whole thing. So uh, with that in mind, um, that's, that's how the healing worked for me. I started to address it, found the records in Scotland as well as England to verify those very happenings. And that bolstered my um, belief that I was getting a lot of good information from mediumship. Wow. Wow. So you developed this past life meditation and then and and mediumship at the same time i remember we were studying together in a class and you were kind of talking about these past lives and these things that we were getting drawn into and i was fascinated with the whole thing um so that happened at the same time then roughly everything happened at the same time you couldn't really segregate information and say well um what does that mean i saw these circular stone carvings that were about um 20 inches um in diameter and that didn't show up until about four years later when I, um, when I was at Knaresborough Castle in Yorkshire and I found them outside of the castle and it validated the fact that William Douglas was held prisoner there. Oh, um, and this is a really interesting thing because um, the great uh, historians like um, William Bain and, um, and others, uh, Frazier, uh, William Frazier who wrote the Douglas books, um, these people translated Norman French and Latin. They trans, they, uh, excuse my clock. <laughs> um, they trans translated these entries from the rolls of the pipe, um, all the records in Scotland and England, and they trans translated into English. And it said to Castry de Leeds. Well, they, they said that they thought the Castry de Leeds meant leads um, down in the southern part of, uh, of England where the queen was staying. It was a tiny castle, couldn't be. So I'm saying, what, ha what the heck happened? And I sent, in my, um, I sent in my file for the book to have it published and the galley. And it kept, they called me, oh, I'm sorry, there wasn't anything on your file. Then the next day I overnighted it again. And I said, oh my God, it cost me $35 to send it to you again. They said, well, the file was corrupted. Saturday, Saturday, a book came and it said, oh, look, here um, is uh, Lee's Castle. 
And I went, well, he couldn't have been in this castle. It's too tiny. It's not even big enough for the queen. So that's when I said, what does it mean? And they told me it meant of the Castry to Leeds meant a half day's ride from. So I oh. took Leeds Castle and I looked uh, for 10 miles away and there was Narrowsboro. And when I did the research, it said that the King Edward was um, revamping the whole place and he had a criminal court there. He had a prison there and he had a huge entourage there. He was getting ready for going after a uh, Scottish nobleman and that's where he was going to hold them. So imagine all these great historical, I mean, they're experts in their field missing that. But I mean, also imagine how many books and how many translations they did. So it was kind of like, oh, the castle to Leeds. That means, uh, you know, the castle in Leeds. So going back to the book that you were sending out, it kept coming. It never made it. So it, you yeah. changed when I read, Yeah. When I, as soon as I changed it, there were 35 references to Narrowsborough in it. Um, they said, oh, everything was fine. And they published it. <laughs> and that was, just that, that, was that was this book, which is, I don't know if you can see it because I've turned on that ridiculous thing. But anyway, you can yeah. kind of see what it looks like here. Um, but it is... Um, my Truth Lies in the Ruins. And that was the first book of the Buck Douglas trilogy. So it was, it was just how it went. And um, I, I found that. Well, you keep talking. I'm going to share a picture of this. Um, okay. My Truth. Can you see that? My Truth um, in the Shadow oh, of My you. In the trial. That was the second book. Let's see if we find the <coughs> first book. And then my the flames of my truth. This is a this is a phenomenal book. Um, oh, thank you. Um, but yeah, that it, gives you kind of a picture of it there. Um, yeah. And then uh, I is the, your book cover on this particular website? Oh, there's your babies. Oh, there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, it should be, but um, I'm not seeing it. Um, anyway, in the shadow was like the second book, but um. I should have this and uh, I should be able to send it to you because there's some drawings I wanted to show you yeah. um, and how they worked out. And I don't know now if, um, if I can do that, but anyway, um, you know, there are a lot of on the website for the books in the historical part um, that, oh, that one right here at the top. Now um, that was the white building there. That was the original manor house at Woodham Ferris. It wasn't the one that they, um, that the manor told me to find on Manor Road, but that was the main manor house and a part of it was destroyed in a fire, but the mm -hmm. original moat was there and there was a secret passage to uh, the Priory and uh, Eleonora's daughter drowned in that moat. That's the daughter that was, was came through in that first reading? Yep, exactly. In yeah. She died in 1294 in that incarnation. This is amazing. And, and, and you knew all of these when these buildings were new and all standing. And oh, yeah, that's what's fascinating about it, isn't it? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Best. Um, so so there were, go ahead. Oh, I just want you to tell people that these all these books are on Barnes and Noble and they're on Amazon. And you could actually search for Deborah Richmond folks and, and find um, a lot of her work. But I really recommend I've read. I mean, they're good reads. And what's amazing to me in these books, you might laugh at me, is you, you have the Scottish language down so well. Um, <laughs> it's like you're there. You really, truly lived it. You were remembering it. And um, so in, the, in this work, um, 
we were learning mediumship. I remember we were, do, we were doing a lot of mediumship, but you yeah. took further. You were going into trance, like you said, med meditate every day and writing things down. But that, but then you went to um, England to um, Stansted Hall, right? Okay. And, and Finley, the Arthur, Arthur Finley College. College. And when I, I went to Arthur Finley College, I was studying with Glenn Edwards and, um, and the late Glenn Edwards. He was marvelous. He did. He has some great meditation tapes if people are ever looking for them and sitting in the power. Yes. And it was the first time that I really started to having where I stepped aside during trance and let it come through. And mm. um, people were asking me questions. And then later on, I uh, was over, I was back in America with, um, <clears throat> uh, with Robert Brown's classes and Marjorie Kite. Um, she was president of the International Spiritualists at the time when she came over to do classes. And um, she, she had me come up and do a trance demonstration. And, um, and I had both my main guide, William, come through and Anna, who's another guide, and um, she asked them, and I, I'm hearing this, but I'm not hearing everything about John of God. And she says, I want you to tell me about John of God. And William said, he's, he's a fake. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. And of course, Marjorie went a little ballistic and she challenged him on that. And Anna came in, she said, she does it with mirrors. It's not good. He's a fraud. And of course, this was back in the early 2020, you wow. know. Everyone loved him. Yeah. And yeah. I am like cringing because I'm starting to come back in and hear all this stuff going on. And um, so then in the last couple of years, when they charged him with a child molestation, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. um, it was in a horrific situation. And I'm going, wow, trust your guides. They don't lie. You know, that was wow. it. Yeah. But that was, that was really a, oh, I was, I, I tell you, when that came through in that message, it was a real test of whether or not I was in trance or not. And I was, and I said it. Oh my God. That's wonderful. <laughs> so, so this, a lot of people, uh, you know, take the mediumship and they, and, and they, they go to a certain point, but you, I feel went so deep into it, you know, and, and some of the information that you got, well, it's been proven. Um, but, but what's amazing to me, you know, you wrote, six books we did i did illustrate put some illustrations into one of your books what yeah what the dead say about reading well, that's right no you did the yeah. one which was um rite of passage right um which is here and rite of passage I, I guess you can't see that one too well but at any rate how can i do this so i've got it oh there it is so rite of passage what the dead say now on this we're all with this picture down here of ectoplasm and that was three nights and a lady that they told me would be on the film. And when I was trying to look for a particular um, location and I looked through all my digital photos that night before I left for Boston and I, I couldn't find anything. And I was so mad at them. I said, how dare you? <laughs> and when I got to Boston, I dropped the film off at CVS and at CVS, um, when I got it a, an hour later, I kept looking, what's all over my film, all this, and it was ectoplasm of three mm -hmm. nights and a lady. And that's what I used on the cover of um, Rite of Passage. Yeah. I, I pulled it up. I'm going to share this screen. Um, see if I can okay. get a little share. I know for yep. you, 
for those and who that's it with the three with the three knights and the lady in front of them that was that's what i got and yeah. they said this is where we were mom and this is west calder and i said oh wow but i couldn't understand i thought what did i do here but that's ectoplasm of the three knights incredible incredible shot wow it's just phenomenal um and for those who are listening to this um podcast you can go onto youtube and you can see the visuals but if you look at rite of passage on amazon by deborah richmond fox you'll see look at the cover and you'll see this mist in here um in any event um i, was, I always wondered about that cover um i don't think we ever really went into it and talked about it i said <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is one of those things yeah you know um I was listening uh, to your podcast before talking about spiritualism and um, a lot of things being down here in the South now. Um, it was when I arrived in 2009, I found out that the law had just been changed in 2004, allowing people to give readings that we couldn't do it before. Oh, okay. oh it's considered a misdemeanor and more than one could get you in a big trouble. Wow. So I yeah, it, it was wild. And I tried to figure out why. Well, Emma Harding Britton used to come down here and um, she she was a um, just a wonderful medium in the South. And but she knew her Bible backwards and forwards. So when she came in and, and was holding meetings for spiritualism, you know, on the QT, people mm -hmm. one one meeting, they came in to tar and feather her and she quickly mm -hmm. changed right over to be reading out of the Bible because she knew the Bible so well. And she just became a regular preacher in there. That was it. They left her alone. But um, she actually, yeah, I know. It's so, it, well. It's a religion. You can't, you can't, I mean, it's against a lot of persecute. But I, oh, well, well yeah. And we're, a real, and spiritualism became an official religion recognized in the United States in, um, <clears throat> in uh, 1891. And so I knew that that couldn't hold if we ever wanted to defy it. We could challenge the legislature. Uh, uh, the general assembly but um at any rate uh they changed it just before i got here so i didn't have to go through that but it was wild um emma harding britain shows up a, a lot down here in classes and it's i really enjoy it um she convinced one um, man who owns several plantations which were really large plantations are just large linked farms and she convinced him to sell give his land to his daughters and release all his slaves and uh, this was before the war started. Oh my goodness. And he did. And he went to up north um, to escape. But um, Emma, <laughs> Emma got out of there okay. But I mean, he was persecuted for it because it was really against the law to do that. So they spiritualists were considered abolitionists and therefore not really loved down here. I could see that. I could totally see that because of their, it's, yeah. and, and their work up north with the, um, with Lincoln and, and and the abolitions and the women's rights movement. Yeah. They, they oh, were... sure. My my great grandmother, um, great great grandmother, Elizabeth Foster, um, attended a seance at the White House in uh, 1863. Mm -hmm. um, she was there with her father and um, they were they were from New Hampshire. And, um, and all the strange things that happened from 1834 on until um, Lincoln became president. Um, they uh, were brought in to build this town of Libertyville, Illinois. And in doing so, uh, they became much closer friends with uh, Lincoln, all the businessmen. It didn't matter. There, were, there weren't a lot of them, okay? 
So when the war broke out, that's where they went. They went to Washington and that's how she ended up going to a seance there. And uh, the men ended and they showed me what room she walked in. She showed me the brooch she was wearing and I still have it. Um, And she told me all the different things, but I didn't know there were pillars inside the front door of the White House, but there were. So uh, yeah, that and I saw the red room over in the back and the men went off into the left-hand side. I don't know where they went, but probably a room where they went for brandy and smokes. <laughs> yeah, the, the, re, the re, um, retiring room or something. Wait, what do yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So um, going back to the story, you start with um, My Truth Lies in Ruins, and then you moved to In the Shadow of My Truth. And these books are full <laughs> of details and facts. And then you um, moved to My Truth uh is a missed in time and then um after those three that trilogy you have flames of my truth which was you were janet douglas right um, and 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 this was the uh, also known as lady glamis and um you had lost your life right um it was because my husband at that time was a martyr in uh and was murdered in the uh, tower of london in 1298 and i wanted to understand what martyrdom was because I felt like I really detested what he did. I was a young woman left with all these children and my money was pretty much uh, limited because they took my biggest states away. And, uh, and it was a devastating time. And I really feel that I didn't talk to him for a while on the other side. So um, uh, James, who was in that uh, lifetime, convinced me to go ahead and reincarnate and I knew that James is a character that was also Arthur Conan Doyle and oh. um, it brought through it came through uh, when we were uh, in Quincy Church that time and I was uh, sitting on the platform uh, with others um, I, I think I thought you were there too and um, and there was another medium whose name I, I've forgotten um, but she brought him through as Arthur Conan Doyle. And she said, I can't believe I'm talking to Arthur Conan Doyle. And I said, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) But um, now with this, I've got um, some pictures that I'll send so you can can include them later on. But I drew James or I did a pastel of James. And um, one of the things he did with me was to show um, oops, let me see which way it is. Yeah, I'll send it to you. But James had these horns on top of the helm right here. And that's what was so strange. And then when he was Arthur Conan Doyle, in his book, he said, I would find all the clues I needed. And oh. so on this, in Arthur Conan Doyle up here, and I'll send, as I say, I'll send you the pictures. Um, <coughs> um, he had this helm helmet with horns on it almost identical no so so when he came through in spirit showed me the horns and when i found his book that was written um about that he wrote in letters to his mother about his life um and that that book is called arthur conan doyle a life in letters and in this book he talks about many things and he talks about for example one day i was in the kitchen um, giving sardines to one of my deer hounds who had can- uh, cancer. And um, 
I'm opening the can and he says, oh, I love the way fish. And I said, get out of here. You do not. What are you talking about? He says, no, you'll find the clues. It's all validated there. <clears throat> In past lives, as with any other reading, the most important thing are those tiny little facts. So when he gave me that fact about the wee fish and some other things, I quickly got in touch with Garth Willie, who was, um, I think he's in Australia and he was, he's a master on Conan Doyle. So I said, Hey Garth, did you like me? Da, da, da. No, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. And I was uh, crestfallen. I said, well, I'm sure I got that message, you know? Anyway, um, within a few days, the book came letters to ma'am. And he writes in that, dear ma'am, thank you for the box of sardines. The guys and I were very happy to have it. We've only been having our two meals a day of bread and butter and milk with water in it, <laughs> watered down milk. So yeah, fascinating, it's huh? Saved his life probably are wonderful. Oh yeah. But I mean, that's how those are, that's the way that spirit kept coming to me with different things. And so people say, oh, so you just sat down and you just wrote it. And you didn't know it happened over a period of years that I got the information. It did. I remember, I, I totally, re I remember this and I remember your trips to Scotland and I remember talking to you after you got back and yeah, this was, and then the first book and then, and then I said, I, and then the second one, I was like, when did you do this book? And it was yeah. Yeah. hard. You worked yeah. great. It, it really was because we ended up with, these are these are the other two i mean they're not small <laughs> you know they're not small there are a lot of pages and the research was you know impeccable um at least i wanted to make sure i didn't make any mistakes mm -hmm. and i would go over things all in all i spent just doing the research i spent over four hundred thousand oh. dollars and I, and i spent just thirty thousand dollars alone on top of that, for access to the original documents, I had to pay like almost $3,000. I think it was for the Ragman roll, which was a roll that William Lahardy put his seal to not once, but twice. He's the only one that did it twice and um, that we could find. And uh, anyway, so all these things had to be, come out. And um, I said, well, I've got to do it. Fortunately, um, Ed had a small inheritance at that time from his dad. Um, I say small, it, it wasn't millions of dollars, but it was starting to cover all my expenses. And um, so for four years, three and a half, I guess, three and a half years, 34 trips alone, just to Scotland and England. Goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's, yeah. yeah. And, so determined. Yeah. So determined. Now, you told me that this book um, or, or there's a screenplay you wrote. A, you also wrote a screenplay and that the right. of um, Andy Mason. Yeah, Andy, um, I met the Masons in Wood and Ferris. It was um, a strange day. I was trying to get in the St. Mary's Church uh, there, which was part of the old manor. And I knew that I had been in it before because, as I say, it's part of the original manor and you went to, you went to church all the time. So um, I was standing outside and this man came up. He looked like a leprechaun. He was so short. And he came up and he says, I kind of help you there, miss. And uh, my accent's a little bit off. But anyway, um, he was just so bubbly and nice. And I, he says, oh, you have to go next door and talk to the monks to get the key. And I said, the monks? Uh, I said, that's an old folks home now. 
Oh, I said, yeah, they're dead, but they're still there. I go, yeah, I kind of know that. <laughs> so I went next door, got the key, which was over a foot long and about six inches deep. And I put it in the lock, opened right up and I was in there. So, um, but before I went over there, I asked him, I said, do you know where the main manor is? Because I can't find it on the map. And he says, oh, you might try Manor Road. <laughs> yeah. And then you go feel like an idiot. Say, oh, yeah, okay. Well, I will do that. Thank you. I turned around and asked him again. He was gone. I mean, it just disappeared. Not uh -huh. any side of the road, not anywhere. And I said, was he really here? <laughs> you know? And uh, anyway, so there I was. Um, and it, it was a lot of fun. I drove up to the Manor House and uh, I figured it would probably be a good idea not to go in. So I wrote him a letter and they invited me to stay with them or Sharon did anytime I was in Essex and to do my research out of the house. And um, I ended up staying at nearby Stebbing Park because I, I just liked the energy there. It was really nice. And uh, so I didn't stay there. But um, later on, um, when I met Andy, he came into the living room with Sharon and I where we were having um, tea. And he says, hi, I'm Andy Mason. Good looking guy. I mean, he really was, he was a real, he was a footballer. So he played football and he was good looking guy, handsome and, and Sharon's a lovely girl. I mean, she's very pretty. And uh, so anyway, uh, he says, hi, I'm Andy Mason. I work for Mel Gibson. And I mean, all my books involve Mel Gibson, all my books involve um, it's having somebody like James Caviezel or somebody like that play the part of James. And uh, so I wrote this, the um, screenplay about James Lord Douglas, the Black Douglas. And I, I asked Andy if I could send it to him. And he said, sure. But he was no longer COO of Icon International in London. He was on his own. And then, of course, we had COVID hit. So, <laughs> right. Oh, well, we had COVID hit before I said it. But it was just one of those things. We didn't know where it was going. And everything's pretty much stopped. But it is with the um, WGA in uh, West um, Writers Guild of America. So well, who knows someday? I hope so. It's really a, a, an amazing tale um, to tell and how you got it is phenomenal. But just in reading the book, and I really recommend if you guys, you know, want a good read, this is, this is, it's a good read. It's like, it goes from one um, thing to another and you get, it's kind of riveting at times. Um, so I, uh, I, I, I I remember this thing, and I don't know if it has anything to do with anything, but I remember um, Janet Douglas or Lady Douglas was became widowed at some point. Oh, yeah. And, um, her and then yeah. she got accused of murdering her husband. Yeah. Um, and she wasn't even there. Um, the man was the, the man was a very difficult man. And um, if he was murdered, it, it was for his money because he was a miserable soul. Uh, but she, it was in Leith Ayrshire that, um, that he was murdered. And yeah, her, her husband was a difficult man. Yeah. Their first husband, her first um, husband uh, Lord Glounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And, um, um, anyway, so <clears throat> he, he was, yeah, he was murdered, but they tried to blame Lady Douglas for it, even though she was back, um, in, in, the lands of Angus. She was back at the, probably back at the um, the castle itself, and uh, with her three children. But they tried to blame her, and she was totally uh, innocent of it. I mean, you know, in those days, if you had a difficult husband, you just kept out of the way. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that was it. And and they were generally much older, so waiting for them to expire was uh, 
wasn't was a prudent way to go about things. There was no divorce. No, I'm afraid not. Well, you were property. You were ch chattel. You were women did not. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Now, one of the things with Janet Douglas that's important to remember for me is that I had a recurring dream since I was a very little kid of swallowing something that I thought was poison. And um, I kept, I would wake up in the middle of the night. It didn't matter even with, um, you know, um, my husband and, and just say, I, I swallowed it. I swallowed it. And he goes, what's the matter? I've been poisoned. <laughs> and he's trying to tell me it's okay. And what happened was that um, when I was going to be executed and I used to have dreams of having my arms straight out on an uh, armchair, a wooden armchair tied straight back and being set on fire um, underneath. Only the, the winds at the castle came up so quickly that the fire spread immediately. But in Scotland, they did not permit noble women to be burned in that way. They garroted them first. So I remember going up the stairs to a platform and then being in the chair. And this coincided with the information I was later able to find that that's, you know, that's how they did it in Scotland. And they said that Lady uh, Gloms came out and to the, walk up the platform and her eyes were as big as saucers and they were almost weeping, but they weren't tears, they were weeping. And I went, oh, I, and so I knew that I had been poisoned and mm -hmm. I realized that, um, you know, that the poison was something I ingested. So uh, that, that was you definitely part of it. Or the burning. Yeah. So by the time the flames came, you probably this out of it. Totally, dead. totally out of it. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and also I was garroted right away. So I've always had a funny scar here down here and it's just, doesn't go all the way around, but it's pretty odd. The karate and, means your your, your yeah. neck was cut. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you you went through an awful lot. And you bled out, and you um, you know, you had the uh, you. I had the poison. I had, I was garroted, and then the flames came up. But I saw the flames come up, and then it, you know, it all went blank. I think one of the things is when we tell people, especially as mediums. Um, and I talked about this to Gary Schwartz, who wrote the book, um, uh, <clears throat> The Afterlife Experiments. And he said he thought we had a big brain on the other side and that our brain here was a communication device as well as being um, a recording device. So we recorded what was going on with us, send it off in communication. But as soon as the brain died, that was it. So a lot of times, like if, you, if you're reading for somebody and and you say, oh, they were in a car accident, all of a sudden, and they died immediately. You go, um, the person comes through and said, everything went blank. I didn't see it, didn't feel a thing. And that's like the biggest relief for a mom who sees her son going into a tree and, right. you know, yeah, yeah. and being just, uh, in a horrific accident. So I think that's something we need to talk, need to remember, um, specifically on these horrendous deaths that we don't really experience all of it. That's why I, I went yeah. to, uh, I brought somebody I remember having that same experience. This mom, bereaved mom came in and wanted to, it was a, a fa fairly famous mur murder uh, by shot, gunshot. And, right. um, and she wanted to know what happened. And I, I had the whole story up until the time when 
he saw the person and then there was nothing. It just went blank. And yep. I explained to her, there's nothing more. And she thought, I just took a day off of work to hear this. And she was like, yeah. because it was what she wanted um, or what she thought she wanted wasn't quite in her son's um, experience. And, yep. uh, and, and that's exactly the reason. Now, when Gary Schwartz wrote his book, um, The Afterlife Experiments, he was the one that tested, you know, Robert Brown, John Edward, and uh, let me see, oh, Suzanne Northrup and others. But I mean, those were the big three and still are in my mind in, in this country. And he tested them and they didn't get any better than 80%. So we we're all having dinner one night, um, Robert Brown, myself, some other people, and, um, and he joined us. And uh, that's when he started talking about this communication. And I just think that's fascinating because it helps us as mediums to understand that when there's a horrific end, if the brain gets hit first, there's no recording of it. And um, I have one of my people, um, David, who was um, killed uh, by an IED explosion in, in Vietnam. And he, he tried, he described it to me, showed me things, but at the end there wasn't anything. I couldn't see anything. And even the people that were there who said, oh, well, the explosion blew me off the truck and this, that, and the other. I talked to all the people who were in the Jeep with him and they had full memory, but he didn't. So yeah, that's what happens. I, I'm absolutely convinced that Gary Schwartz has a very good thesis on that explanation. Interesting. Interesting. Well, before we um, go a little further, I, I do want to tell people um, how to reach out to you. You can reach Deborah at Dr. Folks, F-O-U-L-K-E-S at skybear.com. Um, and is there anything else you want to share about how people could contact you? Um, well, we, um, there's a cell number right on there. I do, uh, I do text messages and it's uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina, 919-339-3178. Good, if you want to and share that. On, it's right on the website, so they can always find okay. it there. Great, great. I don't, I, great. Not knowing if I should share this or not. Thank you for doing that for me. Oh, well, no, absolutely. I, then, I've been all over the country speaking like that. And the great part of having a cell phone is that, you know, you know, if you can't talk, you just can't talk at that time. <laughs> but you can text away later on. And also, you uh, you're still doing readings. Um, Absolutely. Um, and and I, I do readings. I do virtual classes. I do master's classes for Reiki. I do uh, mentoring. I know you do mentoring, too. Um, I do mentoring that's a little more, um, uh, well, I, I manage my people a lot differently. I let them run run the show, how, how much they want and what they want to get out of it. And um, it's it's worked very well down, especially down here. We found a lot of people really like to come to classes and, um, and yet with the COVID and everything else, and now they're telling us to mask up again. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's really nice to be able to do virtual classes or one-on-ones. Absolutely. The technology has really kept us connected and a lot of really amazing ideas now that yeah. we're in the information inf overload information age, but still to have this um, information at our fingertips, we were not isolated from, and that, that was, a, I think, a good move. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Again, um, we, we know how to do it really well. Um, also, you, you mentioned something. I want to pull you back to that. You have a um, do you, Brian Weiss, you studied with him. Do you do past life um, uh, re regressions? Absolutely. 
um, some of my clients still do them over the phone um, because I've been working with them a long time. I do them in person in Raleigh. I also do them over virtually like FaceTime, et cetera. And um, I've worked a lot with, um, especially with um, our military and this big military presence down here uh, with PTSD. And oh. uh, my own father had PTSD. He passed last year, he's a Marine. Um, so he was working with a lot of Marines in the Manchester, New Hampshire area. And a lot of them, the most important thing is to let people know that when um, they, a lot of times military come through and they'll be say um, in World War I and they'll be um, in the trenches and maybe the mustard gas or whatever gets to them or they don't make it out and a couple guys do. And then, the, and then they reincarnate years later and they're in Vietnam and, and they mm. make it out and, the, and their friends don't. And they kind of say, well, why me? Because it's that survivor's uh, syndrome that they go through of why me? And then they find out that they were just, you know, they just had to heal from that other situation by coming through and incarnating once again. And it's fascinating to watch. Um, and, and the things that come out with people that say, oh no, I can't meditate. And then you draw them through and walk them through that. And the beauty of it different from Brian Wise is that and I'm sure you could find the same thing when you're working with these people who are going through the, um, <laughs> the actual regression, you get to link in as a medium and you can see what yes. they're experiencing. Yes. And that's the key. I don't bring it up during the anything to do. I let them have their full experience. Then when I bring them back out and I talk about it, then I say, you know, you saw this. And they say, well, I saw this. I said, well, here's also what you saw. Oh, I did. I, I saw something like that. I didn't know what it was. And yeah. all of a sudden, um, now you're building the story and they own it. And once they own it, yeah. That's when it becomes a healing um, exercise. Absolutely. Yep. I, I'm right on with you with that. Once they have that experience and then as a medium, yes, you could bring more into it, but they could feel it viscerally and, and their body knows it and their body's been hanging out with all these crazy memories and it puts things into a healing place. It, it's yeah. So you oh. do. I'm so glad you do that still. So, yeah. so that it, it's my, it. it's my favorite thing that I do. Um, and also around here, we have, a, well, I think in any major city, you have issues going on now with some of the violence um, or crazy things like um, people will come to you and say, you know, uh, why, did, why did my son do this or why did this have to happen? And you try to go with the son and explain what happened. But it's always has linked to past lives, almost always, mm -hmm. and healing. It doesn't matter if people want to go there. I go there. If they don't, they don't. But past lives is is the key to everything, as far as I'm concerned. Um, mainly because if you have a recurring dream, that's what it's about. It's about a past life. Interesting. A recurring dream, past life. I'd have to. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've written so many dreams down, and I've wondered this could be. This seems a little bizarre, but I also sometimes see things in symbolically because seeing them oh, for sure. it's like yeah. Oh, no. but yeah when you read dreams are past lives i love that oh yeah it is it's fascinating and you know 
traveling and doing the things, of course, I, I travel to other cities now with uh, all the expos and what have you, and I'll meet different people in different areas. And uh, it's fascinating the, the perspective they have. And it's all the same. It really is. It's all the same. Once you open up the spirit, um, you don't have to be a medium to understand because it's through the solar plexus, as we know, it's that gut experience or that gut feeling. And it's just being comfortable with spirit and not being afraid. So I think that's the most important part, especially for me in the beginning, because I was just, I was afraid. You know, I went, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. Um, when I was first learning um, about meditation and before I got into the circle at Quincy uh, Church uh, with Rita Berkowitz there as our teacher, um, and she is a great teacher, by the way, she got me to relax. And that was like what I really needed. Yeah. At any rate, um, there was Rita, uh, or anyway, uh, I hadn't gotten there to Rita's class. And I'm driving down Route 1, and I see this thing, ESP, ESP. And it was uh, um, an iron, uh, an old iron building. And so I went in there, and I got in, and it was kind of, it was all right. There's incense going, and it's kind of mood, like, color, you know, uh, lights and everything. I sit down. And this woman comes out and she opens her deck. She wants to do tarot to start off the reading. She goes, there's a dark cloud over you. And I went, oh, my God, what did I do? <laughs> and, and she says, for $100, I fix. <laughs> I went, feet don't fail me now. And so I got <laughs> out of there and I called Lydia Clara right away. And she was very hard to get a hold of at that time. She was extremely busy because of John Edward and everything and her discovery of him. And, and so she picked up the phone. She says, they're gypsies. Stay away from them. <laughs> it's like, so that was my experience. You can always find something that'll scare the heck out of you working with spirit. But that was, that was what I did. That was your scary part. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, I really thank you for asking me to be on this podcast. It's been a lot of fun catching up as well. Oh, and, uh, like you're doing a lot of great things. I'll send you a couple of those pictures and then um, email immediately so that you'll have them. And um, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. You have a, I don't know why I haven't had you on sooner, but you have such a, a, a unique um, take on, on past lives because of how deeply you've gone into it. And I think it's really important for people to hear about uh, um, what the possibilities are with understanding past lives. And I'm, I'm really thrilled and honored that you came on, even with, you know, a little bit of scratchy throat there. But um, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, Nancy. It's been a pleasure. Well, well thank you. That, that's it's for the episode. And if you have any questions, please reach out to um, Deborah Richmond folks and or reach out to me. And I'll get you in contact with her. She is a really interesting woman, um, very knowledgeable woman to talk to. And I, you know how I love to bring you people who are available to you so that you can um, learn from them. And, and if this is something that inspires you, please follow it through because that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to do. And um, just remember that this, this podcast is about soul-powered learning, soul-powered growing. So we're going in, growing into um, beyond our lives beyond what we actually do. And the more you grow into your soul, the more powerful and fulfilling your life becomes. So thank you for joining us. And again, thanks again, Deb. It's awesome. Thank and you, Nancy. Good night. Good night. Take care. Thank you for joining the Angelscapes podcast. 
we hope you've gained new insights and inspiration for your journey to uncover and access your soul's power. For more information and a deeper dive into finding clarity in your life, go to angelscapes.com. Remember to subscribe so you can be part of the discussion. It may just change your life. See you next time.